Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast, the show where we zoom in on the latest tech news, products, and trends. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we've got our quick news segment. We've got our Go review, where Gabe is going to be reviewing some cloud storage solutions. And the main topic for the show, the smart home, what the future of smart home devices has in store, and how Gabe and I have set up our personal smart homes. But first, quick news. So Gabe, roll that intro. Welcome to Quick News, where we talk about what's new, what's news, and what could be new in the world of tech. First up, of course, we have the new products. Not really much this week, but let's start, of course, with the Zoom H8, kind of in the podcasting area. This is an audio recorder from the company Zoom. Stetson, I think you use their Zoom H6, right? I use their H5, actually, but H5, I do like sorry. their products. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've used their H4 in college, pretty much a standard for like your field recorder. The Zoom H8 is a field recorder, but it's also geared towards podcasting because it has six inputs uh, for XLR, as well as you can add more inputs and microphones via their swappable capsule on the top. And the really cool thing is it has a 2.4 inch LCD touchscreen, uh, which has like an app driven modes, one towards podcasting, one towards music recording, and one toward location sound recording. And yeah, for 400 bucks, this is not that expensive, honestly, when it comes to audio recorders, but a little more pricey, not your entry-level ones, and we'll start, see this start shipping in August, so keep an eye out for that if you're looking for a new audio recorder. Next up, we have the Panasonic G100 mirrorless camera. The story of the camera that was looked like it could be so much, but then quickly got trashed in reviews and early initial impressions, right, Stetson? Yeah, Gabe, you actually sent this to me, and I was like, oh, this looks great, and then I looked a little bit more into it, and it looks like it was just a repackage of one of Panasonic's old point-and-shoot cameras. Yeah, I think it's their G7, but this, you know, it looks like, okay, so basically what they took is the G7, they slightly sized it down, you know, made it in a more vloggable size, but for, I think it's $800 this comes in, the G100, with a little kit uh, lens and your little tripod slash like easily handheld recording setup. This, you know, it's yes, it's it offers some stuff that we wanted to see in the Sony ZV-1, notably the interchangeable lenses, but it also has some pretty glaring like shortcomings. For example, it has really short battery life, no IBIS stabilization, a 10 minute recording limit, and a 4K crop uh, that's pretty awful especially when you're talking about vlogging. However, it does have a flip-around touchscreen, and that cheaper price of around $700, $800, it's pretty affordable for a mirrorless camera. So it could be something worth looking at. I do like Panasonic's user interface, and they have decent video quality, but I think they like, need to work on their autofocus too. Yeah, the autofocus potentially could be an issue. Mainly, I think it's like we're getting to this point where they're kind of taking old camera tech and trying to do some new releases while they're getting to the next generation of cameras. And that's kind of what we're seeing. So let's just wait for those, you know, the GH uh, six, right? Or yes, yeah, the six will be the next one. And some of the other ones that we'll see coming out, hopefully this fall. But yeah, that was pretty much it for new products. The other thing we kind of saw some little stuff from people was low pro had some new carrying cases and backpacks. We saw an entry level time-lapse slider from the company SERP. Uh, there was a firmware update for the much beleaguered Sigma FP camera. And we also saw a new updated version of Edelkron's popular camera video slider. So nothing really new in uh, product news sets in what was there happening in tech news. 
Yeah, in tech news, we had a pretty interesting couple of weeks here. First up, Google Stadia, conveniently right after our E3 special episode of the podcast. And your Go review. Yeah, linked in the description. So Google Stadia announced a new game called Krata, came out July 1st. And this is the first game where Google is launching the beta version of StateShare. StateShare lets any Stadia user jump instantaneously into another player's game simply by following the link. This is really cool technology, and I think Google is getting ready to deploy this on YouTube, possibly get a whole YouTube gaming thing where other players can join uh, a streamer's game, things like that. I'm excited to see how this evolves. Next, the Google Stadia controller finally works wirelessly with Android devices, makes gaming on the go a little bit easier. And finally, in a little different take, Google bought North, which is a Canadian startup that makes AR smart glasses. This Wait, could what, what is the name of this company? I've literally never heard of them. It's called North. North. Well, I, North, like the compass. They're like in North. Canada, so Canada, I guess that so makes sense. They're, it's North. It's up there. All right. Well, I've never heard of them, but yeah, they make AR glasses. I think this could mean that Google is putting a new focus on Google Glass or potentially developing something new. We have heard rumors of Apple's smart glasses as well. I think we had the watch phase. I think the smart glasses phase is right around the corner. We know it's, it's coming, but when and who will be the first one when? to jump in? Exactly. Who's going to be the first one to see it? Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I guess also finally for Google, they increased the prices of YouTube TV to $65 a month. This is really disappointing because it's almost double the launch price, which was just $35 a month. And this is, of course, driven by the additional content and capabilities Google has been adding to the subscription platform. You can now play and pause and uh, basically view your content as you wish with the expanded DVR content, the added discovery channels. Uh, yeah, so a little bit disappointing. Next, we have some news in the prepaid or the wireless news. I, I love that industry. Uh, Verizon launched some new prepaid plans. What's cool about these is they have a customer loyalty discount. So if you're a Verizon customer for three months, six months, and nine months, or maybe I think it's just three months and nine months, you will get a discount of up to $15 off your plan, which is super nice. And there is now a student discount available for Verizon Unlimited plans. So if you're a student, be sure to take care of that or take advantage of that. Um, Apple is next up in quick news. They have developed a system to make sure iOS 14 is less buggy. Basically, they make it so new features are disabled by default in the developer builds of their software, and they can enable the builds, enable the new features, excuse me, one at a time to better isolate issues. On another gaming note, Apple has canceled some Apple arcade games. Hallelujah. And a yes, strategy yes. to shift uh, content to keep subscribers engaged with the platforms. I don't think the games were... You tried it, right? I don't think the games were as interesting as... People well, they were, were very expecting. cool and very beautiful, but ultimately, if you have a gaming service, you want people to be playing the games for just more than, oh, cool, I downloaded it, and wow, it's beautiful, and then delete it, right? You want them to keep playing it, and it exactly. seems like that's, that's kind of what they're going for, I think. They were saying they're trying to get more you know, big titles or games that are really interesting and engaging. I think you need you need the interesting games at part of the platform and able to in order to keep subscribers paying for the service. I mean, you know, why do gamers pay for Xbox Live or those kinds of services as well? Moving on, India has banned TikTok along with 58 other Chinese apps. This is very disappointing for TikTok because they just lost a huge demographic of potential users. 
uh, and we'll see kind of how that pans out. And also, it's it's bad for the TikTok influencers in India, you know, who had maybe millions of followers, and now are potentially without a job, or right? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't actually don't know how you monetize. I guess you do. Well, you get sponsorships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I mean, that does show kind of the limitations of being an early adopter in some platforms. Potentially, yep. Another, uh, I guess, a phone that was very popular in India, kind of spinning off that. OnePlus Nord is interested. So OnePlus is introducing a new smartphone called Nord. This actually sold out during pre-orders. We don't know any of the details yet. We just know it's going to be a new smartphone from OnePlus under $500 launching sometime in July. And finally, BMW is planning to sell heated seats as a subscription service. What? Stetson, how... How could a car be doing that? That I is mean, appalling. I, I like this because it's proving our subscription podcast episode right in that everything's going to become a subscription eventually, right? It's so true. I think so. What's going on here is BMW can basically make one version of a car, build in premium features such as heated seats, fog lights, a heated steering wheel, maybe a premium sound system, and consumers can choose to essentially buy the car at the base level and then purchase software upgrades to improve the car I mean, this, experience. This seems so stupid, though. Like, you're putting I in mean, the hardware, and then... It's a smart point, because honestly, if you buy a car, and then you're like, oh, wait, this has the ability to do this, but I'm not getting that. Like, oh, of course I'm going to upgrade to that. I think it, you have to be careful how you present it, because on one hand, I think Tesla is a great example of this. You can buy any Tesla car, and at any time in the future pay to have the software enable the autonomous driving mode so you don't need it it's a super nice perk and it's always there ready to upgrade and i think for bmw you can basically target multiple demographics with one vehicle type make it so people have the option to upgrade at any time possibly boost revenue and if you're leasing a vehicle suddenly these lease vehicles can have different options without necessarily needing different vehicles that's, so that's an interesting that's the yeah that's the news. A lot of news in tech this week. Well, now the what could be new, the rumors. First up, we had two mythical cameras. All of a sudden, we got a little ping on the radar map because they might be coming back or actually becoming real, I guess, technically not coming back. So first off, the Sharp 8K camera. Wow, 8K. Yeah, we barely even got 6K, and cameras are only getting 6, 4K 60 now, but we're going to 8K apparently with the Sharp 8K camera. Rumor has got to be sharp. Yep. Yeah. Oh too sharp honestly probably is what i think uh, it has popped up on their website they had some images and we've got an interview with them uh, i think through tech radar potentially uh, saying that this camera should be under four thousand dollars trying to compete with the eos r5 which we'll see coming out uh july 9th later this week i think maybe not coming out but at least fully released uh the sharp 8k camera it's supposed to be the smallest 8k camera in the world that's not really saying much because there's not many 8K cameras, but it's going to use a micro four-thirds sensor, so that's how it's going to achieve that. It will be interchangeable lenses uh, and have a full HDMI out, and we'll be able to record at 8K 30 FPS, 4K 60 FPS, and that will be all 10-bit at 200 megabits per second. So, I'm I'm interested specs, in this camera because because it uses micro four-thirds. It means there are already lenses out ready to take advantage of that and it's not going to be super expensive that's, yes that that's the good for thing, the lenses. thing the bad thing i think is i tend to think it's vital to prioritize sensor size over resolution 
and this seems to be doing the opposite a bit. But hey, you got to push link, the tech link industry to that, forward. Actually, so. we have a great podcast debating full frame versus yeah. APS-C. So we can just link all of our episodes down in well, the description. Well, I mean, whatever podcast service you're watch, listening to this on, you can just scroll back through the past episodes. It's pretty easy. Like I It think is, they, yeah. I think our users know how to do that. Uh, moving on, the other mythical camera is near and dear to my heart. The Sony, should I even say it? The Sony A7S III. Oh, gosh. That what announcement, is this camera up to, Gabe? Yeah, the announcement, it looks like, will be coming at the end of July. This was supposed to be earlier, but they delayed it due to that aforementioned Canon EOS R5 announcement, which again is coming the end of this week. And so we don't really know that much about it. What we do know, it's supposed to have the world's best EVF, that's electronic viewfinder, which I guess that's good. This is a video-centered camera, so maybe not the biggest uh, you know, feature, but hey, of course it's going to probably have the world's best EVF because it's a new camera. It will also have a far more powerful battery than the Sony A7S II, which is not, that's not really big news, I don't think. Do you think like, they're just going to update to the new batteries they're using? The Z the, batteries? With the, with the, yeah, prob- honestly, probably, yeah. I mean, that's it. Boom, done. Yeah, right. Um, It looks like it's going to have 4K, 60 FPS, 10-bit 422, so kind of what I wanted to see. I really wish they would try to get at least some form of 6K recording, even if it's only 24 frames per second or something, or even 5.3K, 5.6K, but... Hey, I'm not going to complain. I just want to see this camera come out and have some beautiful, you know, big pixel uh, size with, you know, that lower resolution sensor and do some great video quality. Now, another big thing to me, drones, obviously. So DJI, we have a rumor out about the Mavic 3. No way. I, you know, I love the Mavic Air 2. Great drone, but still the Mavic 2 Pro or Mavic Pro 2, whatever you want to say, still probably the best video or image quality out there for a dji drone other than the inspire series and now we have rumors about the mavic pro 3 that it could have a micro four-thirds sensor so that'd be going from a one inch sensor in the current two pro to a a micro four-thirds sensor in this dji mavic 3 pro that would be obviously like i said earlier sensor size is huge no pun intended but that would be a big improvement uh it might also have optical image stabilization as well which do you think this is a big deal if you have a gimbal on the drone anyways? I I mean, I'm not sure, actually. I find sometimes if you have OIS on a camera and you put it on a stabilizer, sometimes those actually interfere but, with each other. But these other. would be working in tandem, though. So if they work it's the in same tandem, system. I can only imagine the footage gets even smoother. Just buttery. It literally just I turns to butter. I haven't noticed this problem in DJI drones, but... Um, Still exciting to have. And this could be awesome for low light or longer exposure times. True, I guess. Yeah, the like slight shifting. For Um, photography, I think that's probably the biggest use case. And the other big thing is we've seen some sketches and patents come through showing that the design of the drone could actually switch to instead being the design of the previous Mavic 2 Pro and the current Mavic line in general to be something kind of a cross between the Inspire drone and the Mavic line where it kind of folds up the legs away from the body. And it's it's an interesting design. I always think when you see these patents and stuff in drawings, you're like, I don't know. But then DJI releases the drone. You're like, I have to have it, right? <laughs> so this <laughs> we'll have to wait to see what it actually looks like in practice, and you know where the accents of you know metal and plastic here and there, and the paint job, how it works in practicality. But exciting news: this will be probably coming out in the fall or late fall, you know, November, late October. But I am personally, any news from DJI, I'm excited. It's so true. It's so true. Finally, so was, finally, yeah. no, one more thing. 
we're 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 including gaming stuff now, right? Because we're we're kind of diving into gaming or dipping our toes into gaming. The Xbox will be releasing a new Xbox supposedly in August. This is not again the Xbox Series X, which will be coming out in November or December and be the next generation of gaming. This is an Xbox. I don't know if they're calling it an Xbox S or something. It will basically be a new version of the Xbox One X, which is their current highest generation of gaming uh, consoles. And this will just be smaller, probably cheaper, maybe slight improvement. But basically what they always do is, you know, they release the new console and then two years later or whatever, they release a cheaper, smaller version. And then that's what everyone buys. Kind of. We'll have to wait and see. I think this could be related to Project Lockhart. So it could be um a cheaper version all digital of, maybe too is what they're thinking yeah all digital no disk drive of the new series x that's coming out have to wait and see but either way that is quick news gabe thank you so much for that uh next up we have our go review go review is where one of us assigns the other a product or service to go out into the world and review last week on the show i reviewed google stadia i shared my thoughts and experiences gaming from the cloud with Google Stadia. This week on the episode, Gabe is reviewing some cloud storage services and solutions. So Gabe, what do you have for us? What'd you test out and what did you find? Thank you, Stetson, for that great intro. So cloud storage, um, where do I begin? Actually, here's where I'll begin. Uh, let me break it down. Cloud storage, I ain't talking about condensation. White puffy things with some elevation. This here is Rack City servers on servers of data, but for the average user, the experience is that of easy backups on the go. Not worrying about losing photos. Storage so simple, just an internet connection, and poof, all your files are here for selection. Well, at least you hope it to be. Some services are better than others, you'll see. Before that, I'm gonna have to end my rap. Because, yeah, I'm not gonna rhyme the whole Go review like that, okay? Honestly. <laughs> that was very impressive, yeah. Dave. I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, I watched Hamilton over the weekend that just came out on Disney+, Plus, and I've been a little inspired, so had to get into my rapping. Uh, have you watched Hamilton? I have not seen Hamilton. All right, we're gonna pause the ca- podcast right now. Go watch it. And now we're back. And what? No. Definitely watch that, Hamilton, I would say. I'm not a huge into amazing. musicals, but oh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is a genius when it comes to rapping, is lyrically speaking. Getting back to the Cloud Storage Go review. Basically, there are a lot of different offerings. Uh, it seems like we've been doing this the past couple episodes of just doing these uh, you know, digital products where there's like thousands of offerings online. I mean, just name a, name a tech company. Microsoft. Yeah, they have a cloud storage. Name another one. Google? Yep, cloud storage. Apple. Yep. Okay. I mean you're come on. Let's Amazon? Go, let's go a little further. Come on. Uh Logitech? Yeah, they probably do. I mean <laughs> like, like literally I, CVS I think has cloud storage for their photos. Like No way. It's if you are a tech company, you have some sort of cloud storage, even if it's just like storing your users' data and settings in the cloud, right? I guess that's true. Yeah. It's so, just like yeah. it's it's kinda insane. And you know, there are a lot of people out there who are very uh, hesitant for cloud storage. I talked to several friends who said that they, you know, had either had bad experiences with the cloud, didn't trust the cloud. You know, one friend I have uses, uh, I'll shout him out, Matt, if you're listening to this podcast, he uses uh, hard drives to back up his iPhone's uh, photos, I, which is insane. I, I was, I like had to stop and go, wait, what? Like record scratch. Wait, what? Shout uh, out to that. That, I mean, it, it works, right? 
but it, I think I've just become work. so accustomed to just, you know, boom, it's in the cloud. So what is the cloud for first off? I, as I said in my wrap, it's a bunch of servers, you know, in warehouses someplace, uh, cooled down, and yeah, you, all your data is backed up there. You know, one warehouse might not be all Amazon. It could be, you know, there might be Google storage on it and Dropbox storage. It depends where, who's paying for what storage. But basically, it makes your backing up so much easier. And as it comes to that, there's actually two forms of cloud storage, really. There's backup, which is simply going to back up all your files or settings on a given device. That could be your laptop, your gaming console, your phone, your iPad, whatever it is. Then there's also storage, which basically just acts like you have a hard drive that's your own personal thing, but it's a virtual one, and you can access it from anywhere. So when it comes to backup, my take is that I personally think it's best to go with the company that makes the device you have. So if you have an Apple laptop, if you have an Android phone, go with the company that made that device. So if you have an Android phone, obviously Google. If you have a laptop from Apple, go with Apple. Or if you have, you know, Microsoft computer, tablet, whatever, go with them. It just integrates better as far as, you know, seamlessly backing up in the background and stuff as far as that's concerned. So that's where I tend to think it's best to go with that because backup, the general thing is you just want it to work. You want to at all times be able to just, oh, my computer fell off a cliff. Well, good. I have a backup in the cloud. Not, oh no, I forgot to back it up. That's a great advice, Gabe. I know when you set up your iPhone, iCloud backups are great for getting all your information back when you get a new device. And I know when I set up my new Android phone, my Pixel 4 XL, I get the prompt to back up everything in Google Drive. And those have really worked well for me. And I think that's a great, yeah, that's a great tip. If you're backing things up, go with the manufacturer for that seamless integration. Now, the only exception would be if you're a consumer and the biggest, I think, form of consumer data that they're backing up is probably photos or I guess video maybe, right? But yeah, that's that can generally be like photos and videos. video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. It's taken the place of home videos and photos is now digital photos and you want to have those safe. So you don't want to be like, oh, no, it's all just stored on my phone. My phone just got flushed down the toilet. Great. I lost six years of photos or whatever. So personally, I think the only exception of not going with the company service of the device that you own is potentially going with Google Photos because they offer free unlimited storage. Granted, that's compressed uh, photos and video, but it's at least you have it, right? It might yeah, not be saved. the best quality. And honestly, I bet if you were to take the original and the compressed and print them out and put them like... In most situations... Yeah, right, exactly. In most pay situations... Pay me to tell the difference, you won't be able to do it. If you have really good photos you want to keep, yeah, you know, upload them to some service that's not going to compress them. But for in general, that's, I think... A great way to go the other thing is amazon prime users actually a lot of people don't know this it actually gives unlimited uncompressed photo backups to all prime uh subscribers and you get i think it's five gigabytes of video which really is insanely low for video for video yeah. that's nothing i mean that's yeah. a joke but the photos is super impressive the like that's great. an excellent tip gabe this this makes prime almost a really great option like kind of i mean it's, our, it's it already an insanely good deal even if you're not ordering stuff all the time and getting that free shipping. Uh, Just add in the little perks. Yeah, right. The other thing is there are two or a couple, there's many lesser known names out there. You know, you might have heard of Box or this, I think Mega. I don't know. There's so many different ones for backups. It's, it's really insane. I'm not going to focus on them because I generally find that people want brands that they trust when it comes to cloud because they A, don't understand it and B, you know, just aren't tech savvy and don't want, they want something easy. So I'm sticking yeah. with the well-known brands. But if you are looking for something that offers a little more backup storage, for example, 
I think the two ones out there potentially to look at are iDrive and Backblaze. Now, iDrive, the interesting thing is it actually, uh, their entry-level plan will send you a three terabyte drive once a year if you want, so that you can upload a bunch of stuff to and send in so you don't have to try to upload that over your internet connection. So that oh, could be good. Interesting. If you, yeah, if you don't have a fast internet connection, iDrive might be good to look at. The other one is Backblaze, and that has kind of the reverse in that if you lose a computer and you need to, you know, all right, I bought a new computer now. I don't want to have to download. However, you know, because they offer unlimited storage, like eight terabytes of data to my drives, they can actually send you a hard drive with your information on it so you can, uh, you know, get it onto your computer and be ready to go quickly. So both of those are very interesting. I'm not really going to dive into the pricing and everything with them, but... That's that's one good option. I just wanted to ask quickly, Stetson, what do you use to back up your photos? Your, I'm your, using, your uh, so stuff. I have a Google business account with my, my business and that includes Google Photos and that gives me unlimited full quality images to back up everything. So that's what I'm using, Google Photos uh, at original quality. And not at all iCloud. I don't use iCloud. One of my friends uses iCloud and the problem he's found with that is there's no way to tell the phone what photos to have locally on your phone versus which ones to store in the cloud. And as a result, I mean, his library is huge and his phone just fills up and it's basically constantly full and there's no way for him to empty out it, all the photos. I think it usually is supposed to optimize. Well, that's the thing. There's right? there's no way to like tell it, hey, I need to download this game. Can you offload photos, please? True. It's just, nope, I'm just going to fill up and then... Yeah, so he's actually run into that problem and slowly upgraded from a 128 gig phone to a 256 gig phone to now he has the 512 gig phone. And every year he's like, yep, I'm not going to have a storage problem. I think and Apple should he... should do They just something. need an option maybe, like maybe like upload more, everything. Only, yeah. only keep more recent photos or something. Or like, yeah, the last oh, month no. or something. And like, yeah. they just need more, need more options for that. But that, so, yeah. I, that's why I use Google Photos. I don't like I can delete everything off my phone. Everything's in the cloud. Download it when I need it. Yeah. So basically, yeah. So if you're going to use any of those, though, you have to pay for the plan other than the Google Photos, which offers, you know, the compressed version for free. But each one, iCloud, OneDrive, Google One, which is, Go of course, Google had to change it from Google Drive to Google One because why not? Uh, because Google. They all have a free offering. However, Google is going to offer the most 15 gigabytes and iCloud OneDrive are going to offer only five. By the way, OneDrive is Microsoft's drive storage solution, just in case you didn't know. Next up, I, actually, their... I didn't know that. So thank really? you. Okay. Next up in it is uh, their $0.99 cents for 50, 50 gigabytes is Apple's iCloud. And then you jump to $199 at 100 gigabytes for OneDrive, Google One. Then you have 200 gigabytes for $299, Google Drive or Google One and iCloud. And then finally, you have uh, one terabyte, which is the highest offering for OneDrive at $6.99 a month. And then you have two terabytes at $9.99 a month from Apple and Google. So they kind of all offer basically the same thing, different price levels and stuff. I personally pay for, I think, the 200 gigabyte uh, storage a month from Apple. And I use that for some of my pages, documents and stuff, um, my voice memos, uh, photos as well, though I, I've also run into the solution. I keep hitting the data cap on my photos when I like, record a long video, like a 4K video on my phone. It'll just right, like you just want to be able to say, "Hey, don't like don't upload that one. I'm gonna import that, that to my one. computer." Well, what I'll do then is I'll let it up back up to Google Photos and then delete it off my phone, off my iCloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, those are the ones that um, come for kind of consumers. 
And the one interesting thing is all the two terabyte or all the max plans for those different services, they all offer some way to share it with a family. So, you know, if you're thinking, oh, two terabytes is too expensive, you know, for me for $9.99. Well, if you split that with, you know, your family of like two people, your friends, three people, that's a lot cheaper per month. And I mean, it's perfect because it's basically a hard drive you have with you at all times. And in comparison to actually purchasing a physical drive, uh, it's you know, it's very reasonable in price. Well, like this, $10 this is, a month yeah, this is, we're terabytes. talking more consumers. So we're not really t- comparing to hard drive. I feel like here, may- maybe a little bit, but uh, the other interesting perk Google one offers, uh, is that you get 10% off with their top tier plan off the Google store and 3% off for their next to top tier plan. Uh, OneDrive also interestingly offers Microsoft, uh, three, six, five with their top tier plan of the one terabyte storage. So there's, you kind of have to look into what you really want. If you want, you know, all the Microsoft uh, Office and all those things, OneDrive might be a better version to go with. You know, if you buy a lot of Google products, I have an Android phone. Obviously, Google One is going to be a good one. And finally, iCloud is just integrates really well with Apple. So that kind of reiterates what I said earlier about, you know, go with the one of the device you have. Yeah, for backing up. Yeah. Finally, now let's move on to the professional one. I only really looked at for this Dropbox and Google Drive business. I was going to look at Box, but they're super overpriced. There are other ones out there, but again, I just, they didn't have the brand or name recognition. And personally, those are the two ones that I have the most experience with. Yeah, those, I think those are the best. I remember at Drone Genuity, we were dealing with a lot of file uploads from pilots with huge high resolution aerial drone photos and videos. We tried using a share file, it was called. And even though it appeared to offer competitive plans and prices and do the same thing, just the features, the integration, the way it worked, it was slow, it was cumbersome, it didn't have the search functionality, and it didn't end up working. So we ended up relying, as you said, Gabe, on Google Drive and Dropbox for our cloud storage needs. Yeah, and they're both, I think, I wouldn't honestly say one is better than the other because they both offer such unique features and have their really their own strengths. So starting off Dropbox, Personally, that's the one I've used the longest. They now have a two gigabyte free plan. That's their entry level, which is... <laughs> that's that's kind of a joke. Like insane you get more in, for free on Google uh, yeah, Drive. That's insane in 2020. That's, it's laughable. Uh, but then they next jump up to two terabytes for $9.99 a month, or finally three terabytes for $16.58 a month, which is about $200 a year. And Dropbox is incredible as far as their integration with Mac, their integration on the iOS or Android apps, and the features they offer. For example, you can create a folder and then share it as a file request and have people upload to that folder. I and love that. that it is also so great. looks, I think, personally more professional sending someone you know, a file in Dropbox than Google One or Google Drive, right? I don't know why, but for some reason, Dropbox has that better rep- recognition and looks, seems like a little more premium. I, I will just add in a minor caveat here. When you're viewing video in Dropbox, we noticed when we were testing it or using it, there was an option to have the quality of the video, like the little player, the preview player. Yeah. There was no like HD no, it, option. It's, it's not great, but if usually you're sending it to someone for them to download and yeah, then well, that's what we whatever. thought. But all, all of the clients from Joan Genuity, like they would oh, really? preview it in Dropbox and be like, this looks garbage. Can you go and reshoot it? And we're like, did you download it? And they wouldn't. With Drive, we found it basically had a YouTube-like player, which everyone's familiar with, and you can increase the quality to the full 4K or HD resolution 
And that for our specific needs had a much better experience. So that's maybe an interesting one interesting point. But generally, I think that uh, for downloading for downloading and they also have they kind of have a we transfer service where you can transfer files over Dropbox, which is really cool. But, you know, if you want more storage than three terabytes, really Google Drive business is the way to go. Now, you might not know this from looking at their site because they advertise six dollars per month for 30 gigabytes. That's their business account okay that 30 gigabytes it's kind of insane that you pay six dollars a month for but you're also getting a lot of their business features but then twelve dollars a month and you supposedly get one terabyte with that however they say you get unlimited if you have more than five users and what everyone is fine Stetson can attest to is that they don't really enforce that so if you only have one user on your account and you're only paying twelve dollars per month you actually really get unlimited storage in google drive it's is true. Incredible for a price. It's Twelve dollars a month, unlimited storage with Google. Yeah. So I've actually it's signed up for that within the past uh, month or two. Stetson finally convinced me after hearing him brag about it, how Woo! he just chucks everything into the cloud. I was like, "Yep, I got to do it." So I I've signed up for it. I have really liked it. I have found there are a lot of limitations. For example, file sharing and stuff that isn't quite as integrated. Where you have to maybe go to the desktop app to do something that with Dropbox you could just do in the mobile app, but yeah, it's unlimited storage you can't really beat, especially if you shoot video projects and have huge files. So that's really great. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, they're both really good options. I'd try both of them, see which one you like better, but that's kind of where I land with that. Ultimately, it, yeah, those are the only two I'd really recommend, though, when it comes to file storage for professional use. Gabe, thank you so much for that Go review. I wholeheartedly agree with you and personal storage and backup is kind of a more personal decision. So definitely just look at the different options and see what would work best for your needs. But it sounds like in 2020, there are some great options out there and plenty of ways to keep your files backed up safe and secure in the cloud. Escape, thank you. Uh, do you have an item for me to go out and review for the next episode? I do actually. Now this is one, it's probably uh, shining on you right now. Uh, it's the Aperture MC RGBWW little light from them, LED light. Sweet, Gabe. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm thrilled to review it, so stay tuned for that. And now, let's just, I think we should get into the main topic of this episode the smart home devices, smart home tech, how we have set up our smart homes to be extra smart. I think we should start off kind of like what the smart home world is, how it kind of built out, and what systems it's using, maybe how we set up our smart home and what our dream smart home would look like. And that's a lot to start out with. And you then potentially like 20 things. <laughs> some security issues or maybe tips for setting up your smart home and getting started. That's well, what, what is what does your smart home consist of right now? Well I guess we'll just jump into that. I've got three I uh, so excuse me, I have two Google Nest minis and one Google Home. So one Google Home Mini, so they rebranded Home Mini one, to yeah. Nest to Nest Mini, and I have three Philips Hue light bulbs, and that is my smart home. What, so not, what do you have in your smart not, home? Not much smartness. I guess, well, we actually have, I forgot about these, but we have the Chromecast Ultra, and we have a regular Chromecast, okay. and we have a Chromecast Audio. So you're a very Google household. We do. We have Google household, and it's because they started giving them out for free. True. I had a Spotify family, and Google's like, hey, get a free... Google Nest Mini, and then, oh, YouTube Premium subscriber? Get a free Google Nest Mini. And then they're like, 
oh, you have Google Fi, our phone service? Get a free Google Nest Mini. So I, I actually didn't buy any of them. I just it's got a them good, for It's free. a good way to keep people in their ecosystem, though, for sure. It's such a good way. So that's my setup. It's I basically have my smart room, and then we like can, can answer questions with Google. But yeah, this is it. kind if, of... This kind of runs into the thing. We're both living right now with our parents uh, for the time being, or not with our combined parents, with our at our own <laughs> family's houses. And the thing that you run into with that is older people generally aren't so inclined to dive into smart tech or smart home tech right now. It was I, uh, challenging for me to get my parents to accept the Google Nest Mini into the kitchen. So. Yeah. Yeah, they. I think it's. I mean, I totally understand it, right? If you've lived your life without having this technology, having to learn it, especially right now, smart home. Honestly, as a techie, even sometimes it frustrates me, like getting stuff to work, and then they change it, and then that feature is just gone, and now you have to redo. Like, it's really at a point where it's extremely frustrating. We'll talk about this more in a little bit, but yeah, I, I generally find that when I was living in an apartment by myself, uh or even with a roommate, it was a lot easier to do smart tech, you know, put in light bulbs here, there, LED strands, you know, all the different things. But when I'm at home, it's kind of like, I just really only have my room or my studio space to experiment with. Uh, But still with that, I do have a couple Amazon Alexas. I have, I don't have a Google Home set up now, but I do have one that I use. I kind of go back and forth and those are really the center of the smart home household. You know, your AI assistant, voice assistant. You notice that none of us, mentioned the apple homepod because ooh, sorry awkward. siri you're not 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 quite up to snuff yet with the other ones so yeah i have that as a smart speaker i have a bunch of philips hue bulbs including their led strip uh, which is really nice very expensive stuff but i've generally find of all the smart home stuff the philips hue experience works the best because it uses its separate bridge so rather than connecting directly to wi-fi which can be you know confusing because all right you got to connect first to the home product when you're setting it up put in, you know, Bluetooth, then you got to put in the password. All right, did I get it right? Okay, it's working, right? You know, with the Philips Hue, you just plug in that bridge to your Wi-Fi router, and then that connects automatically to your Philips products, which are... I agree. I think different products and manufacturers will have different onboarding processes, and the experience will be different. I think, yeah, it's, it's just, it changes. They are expensive. I think for me personally... Light bulbs last a really long time. I'm expecting to have my light bulbs for around 20 years or so. So it just, yeah, it made sense for me. I think, uh, I mean. Uh, otherwise, wait, I'm not done. I have more stuff. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Please. So I also have, now now that as the Philips Hue were the good of a smart home, I also have a couple Wemo outlets, where, which were very, um, you know, they were the newcomers to the game back in like 2016, I think they started coming out. They've been around for a while. And that experience just has not been so good. You know, they disconnect from time to time. They are a little delayed. They're just not the greatest thing. I wouldn't recommend them. If you want to, you know, dip their toe into smart home tech, it's very cheap and it's easy to use it for different things. For example, you can, you know, connect it to a light. You can connect it to a radio, like literally anything that you want to plug in. And you can also track uh, your electricity usage, which is kind of cool, you know, so you can see how much that AC is costing you. Which, speaking of AC, we also do have a Wi-Fi connected AC from Frigidaire, which I found very helpful. That's and great. even though you can access it via an app, I find it actually quicker to just tell my smart speaker to set temperature to this or, you know, change it to um, eco mode or turn it off. And my parents actually honestly use it too because it's it's a lot quicker than, because it's in our top floor, our attic. It's 
quicker than running all the way up to the top and turning it off. You that's just so cool. I love yeah. that. I want to get one now. So that's really the only smart connected, uh, I guess, what, what would you call that? Um, appliance. Appliance. Yeah. yeah. The other one that's kind of there is we actually just got a robo vacuum, um, like kind of like a iRobot one, but it's by this company called Eufy. And they do offer ones that are dumb ones that you just can control with a remote uh, if you need to control it. But this one, you can tell your Amazon or Google Home to start it up or stop it. And then you can also, I, th- I think that's only two commands. It's really honestly not that much, but you can then also go into the app and schedule it to go at a certain time each night, which is really cool. Oh, and I just remember the last product smart thing we have is we have a security camera that we use. Uh, we, we did have an S1 for a while that was inside, pointed out a window. And then we're like, I was like, let me just get an outdoor one. And so I went with uh, one by this company called, I think it's Yi Technology. And for $50, all right, I got it on a deal. It's usually only 60 or 70. so not that expensive. For $50, this camera has lasted two winters outside, Jeez. which I am impressed, honestly. I, I cannot believe it. And it true, it's only 1080p. It doesn't have all the smart tracking stuff of the Nest camera. It does, you know, it offers basic things, but you can still bring it up on your Amazon Echo Show or on your Google TV. And eventually, I'm guessing, on your Apple HomeKit once they add that integration. So... Yeah, that that's I mean, but that's pretty much it for my smart home stuff. I think. Yeah, and I mean, no no, no smart locks, no. I don't know what are the other things that they offer. I, that's a great. Yeah, should we just? I have yeah, go some into odd, all. The, what are all the things that are smart home? So we've got thermostats, HVAC, yep. and cooling systems. You mentioned your AAC, security cameras, light bulbs, speakers, smart plugs, fans. You have smart shades, washers, and dryers. You can have refrigerators. You can have smart ovens. I think you can get, I want to say, lawnmowers at some point. I don't know if those are out yet. Yeah, there's sprinklers, uh, yeah, like, sprinkler systems. Maybe sprinkler systems. A huge selection it's of basically it's appliances. Pretty much everything you can get, I think, in some form or another. It's and available. In, in varying, varying forms of smartness is the key thing. Garage just, doors. Just because they say smart doesn't mean that it's actually smart. It could be very it's not dumb. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so, but there's a lot. And... Gabe and I are just two of the 44.7 million households with smart appliances in the U.S. that are anticipated to be at the end of 2020, which will be over 34% of households. The interesting thing I would like to see is how many just have one smart home product, right? I mean, that's all you need. Like, this could just be all the households who got sent, like, a free Amazon product or, like me, and got the free Google Home or excuse me, the free Nest mini products. Yeah. And they may not really be that smart, but more just have an assistant on their countertop. Uh, but yeah, I think, so underlying the groundwork of all these smart devices are the different protocols they're using. And Gabe, you kind of mentioned, I guess we'll we'll talk about a, a few of them. The big ones are Zigbee, Z-Wave, and honestly, just Wi-Fi and integrating with either Amazon, Google, or Apple. Or BLE, uh, Bluetooth Low Energy. Sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, Gabe, what I guess what ecosystem have you found yourself in for the smart home world, and what are you using for controlling your devices? I guess the Amazon Alexa. You say ecosystem. that very hesitantly. Like, I, I, well, the problem is there's not there's not like one ecosystem. It's the really annoying thing, right? So I use I have Amazon Alexa speakers, so I use them to talk to because uh, I don't have any friends mainly. No, <laughs> <laughs> to tell my you know lights to turn on and off or whatever, and stuff and i use the app on my phone but then also it doesn't really work that well on my phone like i'd rather use HomeKit because i have an apple phone 
but HomeKit doesn't do all the, you know, it's just like you, you have too many ecosystems and they've been competing for a long time, right? And so at this point still, we, we have a lot of like stuff doesn't work with this or it's clunky. And I think the thing that will hopefully be the trend in the future, and we've seen some progress towards it, is companies kind of coming together to create unified standards and protocols so that it will be a lot better experience. Because I think they realize competing for market share, fine, that's cool to do, right? You know, that's that's one way to grow grow businesses. But with the smart home, you're going to hit a point where people are just like, I don't want to get into this because it's so complicated and it doesn't work. I'd rather have it, you know, work all together. So if the companies can do that uh, and create a unified experience, even though it's different brands, I think, yeah, it'll get, see a lot better adoption. I think it is somewhat challenging. I mean, Amazon and Google are very similar. What they do is any device that can connect to Wi-Fi is basically eligible to pull on the Assistant API and be controlled with either Amazon Alexa or the Google Assistant. Uh, and this could include devices like the Philips Hue, which have a bridge. So the light bulbs themselves aren't connected to the internet, but they connect to the bridge, which then connects to the internet and then can be used uh, to pull on the Amazon and Google APIs. And they're actually pretty easy to develop for. So I don't know if you've been following this, but I learned today that in order to get your device approved for either Amazon or Google, you basically, uh, for Amazon, you do have to send in the physical product just to make sure it meets spec and meets standards. Uh, but for Google, it's a self-certification process. So you can self-certify, get that, works with Google Assistant sticker, put on your box, and you'll be good to go. The biggest stickler in this space, Gabe, do you have a guess? Who are, Apple. oh, you nailed it, Apple. Yep. In order to get certified by Apple, you have to do one of two things. First, you need to have a physical hardware chip on your device, or there is a way to do it with software. So you could do hardware or software verification, but then you need to send in your devices to Apple to be verified and certified. And Apple has more restrictions where they have a defined, they have defined devices. So your smart device is either a light bulb or it's blinds and can close your blinds up and down. Whereas with Amazon and Google, you can basically build uh, what your device is and what it is capable of doing. So different limitations on the different platforms, uh, but Apple as a result of this is actually the most secure platform. They don't require, they use actually local internet for controlling your devices. So it's, everything's run locally. It's not sending stuff out to the cloud to Yeah, basically. Yeah. Whereas Google and Amazon, they do require the cloud. So uh, it, it's nice, you can control, I can control my lights from anywhere in the world, but that could potentially well, mean someone Well, you can do that with HomeKit too. You just need to have either an iPad or an Apple TV yep. at home at all times. Yeah, oh, yeah. I guess we have an Apple TV. I didn't mention that. So oh, yeah, so you can, but, you but can it do it. But again, it doesn't really, with the Apple TV, I haven't really found much integration. We did talk about on the last bonus episode how they are bringing more HomeKit integration to Apple TV and stuff like that. But generally, yeah, I've found that the main problem, besides just integration also within the ecosystems and the software side, for example, the Nest thermostats, right? Or just thermostats yeah. in general. Those look really cool. Like the ability to have it lower the temperature when you're away. I was going to install one in my apartment uh, when I was living there. I, you know, I asked my landlord, can I install this? He said, yeah, sure. As long as you know you don't mess up anything and install and then take it out when you leave, it's perfectly fine. However, I found that my apartment, like a lot of apartments out there, 
don't doesn't have the proper wiring to be able to use these uh, thermostats. You know, you need to have like a six or eight wire system. Where I think mine only had like two, and that's what most houses, especially in the north, have, where they don't have a heating and cooling. They just only have, you know, just the heating. So they just have a, you know, literally a plus minus type setup, very easy. And so that's, I mean, that's just with heating. But then you have all the other different ways that this could, you know, maybe the smart fridge is they don't make them in the size that works for you, or uh, you know, there's so many different ways it couldn't work. I think another great point with the smart fridge specifically is when you're buying an appliance like. That's a 10 to 20 year life cycle device. You wouldn't want to buy an appliance and then suddenly have your smart home standard like fall through and your fridge won't get updates. It's going to stop working. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. We don't get a software update. All the food goes bad. Yeah. And so I think for some people, it's harder to get into uh, for, for some of the smart appliances. And really what would be almost more beneficial is if companies could find a way to retrofit existing devices. And you almost see this with the smart plugs. like. You can get a smart plug, plug your existing lamp into that, and all of a sudden you can now control it with your voice. You don't that get could, all that. That couldn't work for like a fridge or your other stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't really right. want to do that with your fridge, but. Oh, good. I can turn off my like, fridge on the go. That's what get, I want. <laughs> oh, come back. All your food is rotting. Yeah. It's disgusting. But I think finding a way to add like some microphones or make it so the cost of the smart fridge is easier, it's more attainable, it's not that much more expensive than a regular fridge is a great way to start to introduce smart home appliances in the kitchen space, which I think is actually the best place for it. Like I will frequently use Google Assistant, add items to my grocery list. It's great for setting timers while you're cooking. And I could easily see this integrating with recipes, like preheating the oven to a set temperature and not having to worry about having sticky hands and like smashing all the buttons on my stove, that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's like a challenge. What? How do you feel about smart home adoption? Like, are we going to be adopting it quicker? Where is smart home going to start for most people? What are your thoughts, Gabe? I think, yeah, the, the big two things that most people worry about is security. So, you know, is the Echo listening to me all the time? Or are people going to hack in and just turn off my lights all of a sudden? You know, stuff like that. And the second thing is ease of use. And both those things are seeing some pretty good strides coming up in the future. We had, uh, the, I think I forget how long ago, maybe six months ago, there was a new protocol and uh, companies coming together to create this and work together to, you know, uh, build something that would basically be a standard between all these different smart home products. So that's really good to see. That's promising. And as far as tech uh, security goes, we're seeing a, a good focus on it at least, or at least lip service towards it. You know, companies are dedicating parts of their announcements to talk about the security of these smart home products. So at least it, it's understood by them that people care about this. So, you know, they're, they're not just ignoring it for the time, you know, and just trying to rush. I I agree with that. And I think Google's doing an interesting job with their devices. They have a physical switch that will like physically disconnect the microphone from the device or disconnect the camera. I think Amazon may be doing something similar. The truth is I'm not sure. I, I don't own any of their products. What about the you, Facebook The Facebook portal? portal? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's just not that actually smart. Does, I think that does have a lens cover, but notably that is not a smart product to buy. Yeah. It's not so. a smart product to buy. That's but the actually, yeah, uh, dumbest. T- talking about the future, though, uh, the Google will be actually having a product uh, this later this week, July. I mean, an announcement of an event, July 8th, which we will see probably some new products. Uh, it's a 45-minute keynote. 
it's kind of in lieu of Google I.O. You know, earlier this month, they did they did a bit of a Google I.O. type thing with just like mainly software stuff. But this is going to yeah. be their more smart home hardware. So I'm we'll excited. hopefully see, you know, maybe a new Nest Mini, uh, a bunch of new Nest products because they now own Nest. We'll maybe see, what else, a new Chromecast type thing? Yeah, so we, we had the rumored Chromecast coming yep. out. I'm imagining they may do something with the home. I mean, the home, I want to say, I don't know how to call it but it was the original google home just that like vertical stand it'll be, that the, it'll be the, the nest home now yeah so the nest home i feel like that's due for a refresh we could have a a really nice new speaker refresh with their yeah. like 400 dollars speakers um and i mean secretly i'm optimistic for pixel 4a possibly this event but no we'll i don't think see. so this is a smart home event so pretty i think you you actually kind of bring up a, a great point because apple they don't have their $50 cheap speaker to get into people's home. Like there's no easy way to get Siri in a speaker. You have to buy the $350 home pod. And well, so you know, I think, I think what it is with that is because Siri is not something that you'd really want. Right. Apple was well, selling yeah. with their, with their home pod. They're selling a really premium speaker experience because I think they know they can't compete with, you know, the Google and the Amazons of the world because they have much better smart assistants. So I think the other thing too is Apple's idea is you have Siri everywhere already on your phone true. or your your wrist with your watch. So AirPods. Maybe, yeah, exactly. Maybe they felt they didn't need to do that. Uh, but still, I mean, to, to some degree, the interesting thing is I think the home app is actually one of the nicest apps out there for controlling your devices. Home kit or... Yeah, so yeah. the well, just the Apple Home app. Well, yeah, like, but I mean the the app for HomeKit. Yeah, because, exactly, exactly. Because isn't, can, isn't Google also called Home? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. called so Google that's, that's Home. You're right. Be... Nice and confusing. Yes. What's right. I guess to kind of lay out what the difference for me is is in Google Home, I import all the settings from my Philips Hue app, whereas in the Apple Home app, I can create my own scenes. And all of a sudden, Apple gives me a little bit more power as a user to create automations, to set new scenes, and manage all of these different smart home accessories from different manufacturers all in one place. Sure, they're a little bit more limiting. They don't quite have some of the feature set as the other options out there. But I think overall, like the experience with Apple is one, as you expect, that just works. And it works really well. And it does the things that it can do the best of, of them all. I don't know. I mean, what's so it sounds I, like I, you use Alexa. I agree with that uh, to a large degree that because Google has these different standards and they allow companies and, and Amazon too, because they allow companies to put different, you know, all right, you can do on this light uh, set, you can do these things on this light, smart lights, you can do these things on, and they call it right. It's, it's kind of confusing and it's a bit kind of all over the place with Apple. It's a much more unified experience because they're making all the, people who develop a smart home product go through much, you know, jump, jump through so many more hoops that by the time they're approving it, they, yes, they might be different products from different manufacturers, but the part where they connect with Apple looks very similar and thus makes the experience a lot better. But you also have that less products want to go through all those jumps potentially to work with Apple. It's true. It's true. But I think, you know, kind of jumping back to the security thing, I, I've heard that uh, home kit devices are more popular in some European countries where they are a little bit more concerned about privacy. They like having all their devices operating on the network, the local network, and that. 
Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a pretty broad overview of devices. Yeah, I do want to continue well, pushing like the future, like how you would build your. Yeah, I don't know. We kind of touched on that. One thing I was gonna mention, I thought we this would not be a proper smart home segment without mentioning IKEA. Yeah, they didn't they did they discontinue? No, I feel what like ha- they're they're doing a ton of stuff in the smart home. Okay, so they're they're like launching it. They're really diving. I think what into- happened. Lowe's discontinued yeah, Lowe's their discontinued. smart. Yeah, that's one of those risks. Like, who's gonna survive this? But I think you're right. IKEA's pushing I, forward. I forget what they Lowe's call is it. Gone. Hold on, I'm trying to look it up. Yeah, smart. I'll try and. They don't really have yeah. a name for it, but they offer elect- electric blinds, smart lighting, and Wi-Fi speakers. The Wi-Fi speakers, honestly, they look nice, but probably would just stick with the you know, Amazon Echo or Alexa. But they are company in- that these, makes yeah. speakers. These are integrated into like light you know light uh lampshade type things and stuff or but yeah it's really the smart lighting which is cool because it offers for example like charging on some of the light fixtures like you can plug in any electric product or wireless charging yeah it's very cool take a look at i actually don't have any other things yet i probably when should, you move out you furnishing i'm, I'm, I'm kind of waiting until I, yeah i'm kind of waiting until i move out of my parents house into my, my own apartment loaded up with that ikea definitely yeah that's awesome do you have any security concerns? Like, how do you feel about being hacked? Have you heard no, people I, getting hacked? Or I don't. I mean, I don't mean to jinx myself. Knock on wood, I guess. But I generally have not had too many security concerns about being hacked or being listened to. Uh, you know, that's something I think our generation has a little less of because we've grown up with the technology. Older people tend to be a little more suspicious, and maybe rightly so. Uh, we need a little bit. Of, you know, it's always good to have a little. Be a little wary just because, you know, everyone's not out to get you doesn't mean you're not, uh, you right. should be paranoid. Sure. Uh, I so. guess I, I was trying to do research into this because I initially thought everything was, you know, reasonably safe and secure. And what I found is for some services that basically use a username and password to log into, it's not that the device is insecure. It's that if someone gets your username and password, then suddenly they can control or do things with your yes. home that you yeah, would be right. able to do. And so there are a few stories of um, people, I think specifically uh, with Blink smart security cameras and maybe a few other systems where uh, uh, similar to how someone could hack into your Netflix account, they hacked into their smart home account and could suddenly use the intercom functionality and do other things. And so I think with building your smart home, you would want to consider using multi-factor authentication for the different services you're signing up for. Um, making sure you're using a safe and secure password. Not yeah, not reusing the same password everywhere, and so like using last password dash line to generate a super long, complicated one. General yeah. s- safe stuff. You may consider a accounts. VPN or something like that, or um, yeah, I, and also just like kind of read through the agreements if you're concerned about privacy or how some of the information may be used. I know Apple got some lashback when the news broke that people were listening in on Siri conversations and they do this to help improve the product and provide a better experience and improve Siri's voice recognition and all that. Uh, but you just want to be able to be aware of how your information may be used and take that into consideration when you're purchasing a device. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what well, I actually have, I think. But let's, before we end, let's actually just both say kind of at the same time, one, no, we'll both kind of talk about what product if you had to choose that is either already smart or hasn't been smartified yet, are you most looking forward to in the future and would be thinking of buying? For me personally, definitely it's the oven. I want to say, An hey, oven. Google, wow, preheat okay. the oven to 350 
Like get you a mean, timer going or like oven as in like installed in wall or like a convection oven. Like a convection oven. That's what I mean. So a little more like toaster oven type thing. Right. Yeah. Than, I mean, okay. I think Amazon actually has their microwave, but I'd be down to like get a microwave like, hey, like microwave popcorn, something like that. As opposed you go into a house and you fiddle with all these buttons and you don't really know what the best settings you pr- are. You mean you, you it's so hard to be like, let me press the one that says microwave popcorn. Well, what if like what if you're microwaving something that's not an option? Like you know, they don't have a pizza button on your microwave. True. I guess that that was one thing with the Amazon one is it has all these, like, people can upload their own settings if they figure it out or something like that. Well, it could be kind of scary. What if, what if one setting was, like, light my house on fire? Well, then it would and execute on that setting. It goes for 60, 60 hours. No, I, I would seriously you love put- the, the oven or stove, though. I mean, I think the integration there and the possibility with recipes while you're cooking... Um, I think that'd be really nice. Yeah. So that's that's my item that I'd look forward to. Gabe, what's what's your item? What do you want to be smartified? I think for me, the biggest one would either be locks, which are already smart. Yeah, those are very those but are I very wanna, smart. I want to see that. I want to see that become a little more either less expensive or more secure as far as the tech standpoint. But I think that is really cool because as someone who's locked themselves out uh, of houses a couple times be really nice to be able to like oh i can either a have a fingerprint reader boom get my fingerprint go in or have my phone right there and unlock it and get in so or, or that or actually seeing thermostats get to the point where they can be installed in pretty much every house sure sure i would love to see that yeah i mean honestly i think all smart home devices right now once you get them set up and you wade through all the different settings options options and configurations that's, that's the key that's the key big big <laughs> asterisk there once you get them set <laughs> off do you make your life easier they add so many cool features and functionality and yeah i'm i'm super excited for the next place i move into that i can completely make smart and sort of build it up into its own little brain if you will but yeah that's all we have for our smart home episode thank you all so much for listening of course you can find us on instagram and twitter at pinch to zoom pod and at pinch to zoom podcast if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a rating on apple Podcasts. that helps out a lot and that's gonna be it so thank you for listening i'm stetson i'm gabe and we look forward to talking to you in the next episode what if i had a smart camera oh that would be the dream hey sony start recording my a-roll at 4k 60 frames per second with the proper 1 over 80th I can't, I can't think of anything more nauseating than that, honestly. What do you mean? That'd be so great. Like, that just seems awful. Good. I want to deal with all the, <laughs> the trouble of setting up a smart home product anytime I want to record something on my camera or take a photo. Yeah, okay, so maybe not that.